Welcome to the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. We discuss five questions in about 10 minutes, and I'm very excited to welcome our guest today. This is Bill Amaralt, and he is a career development coach out of Houston, Texas. Bill, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. What would you like the audience to know about what you do? Well, Sean, thanks for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. And what I'd like to, them to know is that I've taken 28 years of my professional career in marketing, brand management, advertising, new product development, and public relations. And I've turned it into a situation where instead of marketing products and services, I'm marketing people, which is a lot more rewarding at the end of the day. And I go by the mantra, God put us all here for a variety of reasons. Career is one of the most important. So it's up to us to define and manifest those reasons in the best way that we can. And I also use a verse from Ephesians 4.1, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Mm. Boy, that's a, that's a great verse from the Bible. And I love what you also, also mentioned about taking your marketing experience of products and applying it to people. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. All right. Well, let's jump to those questions. The uh, first question, share an example of when you had a conflict with a coworker and how you resolved it. Well, there have been many of these conflicts through the years. I've worked with a number of companies, both on staff and as a consultant, but this particular one involved two aspects of a conflict. And the first one was with my boss directly, and the second was with my boss and myself and the sales team. And we were negotiating the sales budget for the following year, and we were in a big meeting room, and it was like back and forth and back and forth. And then I pulled my boss out of the room, and I said, hey, they've already gone past where we wanted to negotiate them to. So we don't need to do this anymore. We don't need to argue. It was just a point of like, it was a struggle because people didn't know what was really happening. The second thing was when we presented this to the entire sales team, I didn't write a script for my, um, for my presentation because I just used bullet points. But, and we were going back and forth for a couple of weeks. Hey, can you write a script? Can you do this? And I was like, well, I, I, I don't do it that way. And then finally she said to me, look, I appreciate that you do it in a different way. You're a good presenter. But if you get sick and I have to present it, I'm going to need a script. And then I was like, well, of course, I'll do that for you. That's not a problem. But I was never used it. And I didn't use it. But it, it resolved the issue because she brought up the circumstance that could have happened if I had gotten sick. Sure. And it was all resolved. Oh, that's a great example. And I like how you took the, the time and, and to, to listen to what she was trying to say and kind of look at it from her perspective, because in, in most cases, Conflicts can be resolved if we just look at it from another person's perspective. And so I, I, that's a great example. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, Question exactly. number two, I know that you've heard the phrase that people do not leave jobs, they leave managers. What is one tip that or idea that you could give to leaders to help them retain their talent longer? Well, this has come front and center with the great resignation through COVID. People are saying, why am I putting up with this if it's a toxic environment or a boss that really isn't serving you well as an individual? What do you do? I think from a director's or a supervisor's standpoint, the big thing is don't micromanage. If you've hired somebody to do a job, let them do it. If for any reason they're not capable of doing it or they just aren't doing it, that's a different circumstance. But if they're doing it, they're putting the effort in, Put the guidance out there to make sure that they don't, you know, trip over some things that you know might happen, but you also need to give them enough rope to let them learn as well. So the micromanaging thing is I've found to be the most demotivating aspect of anybody, and it doesn't serve either the boss or the employee that well. 
avoiding that, I think, is is critical. If you've hired somebody like you know Steve Jobs said, we hire smart people so that they can do things better than I might myself. And that's the way you need to look at the hiring process is that if you brought the right person in, let them do it. Give them the goal, give them the vision, give them the outcome that you're looking for, but let them figure out how to get there. And of course, guide them along the way. But the, the, the key thing is to let them feel the sense of accomplishment about the work they're doing. You said something at the very end there that I really like about letting them feel that sense of accomplishment. I right. think that is right. so critical. And they, they, you're absolutely right, Bill. They're not going to feel that if you've dominated as the leader, they're going to feel like, oh, I just did whatever I was told to do. And there was no sense of, of accomplishment there. Those are great ideas. Thank you for sharing them. All right. Question number three, what's one idea that you have for how teams can build resilience in their team? Well, I've spent a lot of time in my life, uh, not so much in my career, playing team sports. Mm. So I kind of draw on resilience of teams in terms of a comeback. You know, you're down by four runs in the eighth inning or down by 10 going into the fourth quarter. What do you do to bounce back? But as you relate that kind of resilience into teams in, in the corporate world, the, the important thing is keep an eye on the destination. The resilience will come as you go through, let's just say mistakes or failed attempts or whatever it might be. I mean, I've had several new product development projects that for one reason or another, either failed with a consumer or failed technically, mm -hmm. but it was close enough that we could continue to learn from what those failures were and then create a process and a product that would work. I mean, I've managed indirectly as teams of as many as 30 who would be involved in a new product or a new delivery system or whatever, particularly in the pharmaceutical industry. And everybody's learning at every step along the way. So as long as people don't look at, let's just call it a setback as a complete failure, that's when you develop resilience among teams. Mm -hmm. And I've experienced this at several companies in several circumstances. And there's also the resilience of, hey, we're not making our number this year. What do we do? And then you kind of re-strategize. How do we deal with our accounts? How do we generate new business? How do we get more consumers to pick our product off the shelf, whatever it might be? So there's an element of going back to the drawing board a little bit to see what those things are that have been working and haven't been working. And once you bounce back and, and achieve the goal as a team, that's the whole reason for resilience is so you get to the other end of what it is that you were trying to accomplish. I like that. And you said something a little earlier in your comment about keep your eye on the destination and yep. don't take your eye off of that. It's easy to let that happen when there are setbacks. And uh, people lose track of what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. So great comments. Love those. Question number four, is there someone that you'd like to recognize that has had a positive impact in your life? Um, several people. I mean, I could pick from dozens, but I'm going to pick from two. One is my mother. She was born with spina bifida in the 30s. They didn't think she'd make it out of the operating room in the NICU. And she was told as a girl that she'd never walk without late leg braces or have kids. And I'm the oldest of six. So wow. her way of pushing through things was not to verbalize it. She just did it. And her normal was not like anybody else that I knew, unless somebody who's been paralyzed in an accident or something like that is in a wheelchair. Uh, she did walk without leg braces. She had six kids. She lived till she was 88, one of the oldest survivors of spina bifida ever. And when you think that she was born with a tomato-sized growth on her spine, and there was only one pediatric neurosurgeon in the world who could do the process or the procedure that that she needed it really is kind of miraculous that i'm even having this conversation with you because of that so that's one you know personal example 
Um, I've had several bosses that were great examples too, but one of them I still keep in touch with. He was the first guy that I worked with um, at uh, Shearing Plow. And his name is Bob, and we're still in touch every three, four, five months, whatever it might be. Just, you know, what is it you're doing? What's, what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why I enjoyed working with him so much and we've kept in touch is that when I first started with the company, I was an assistant product manager, and then the product manager left after about four months. So it was on me to do the job. And I sort of knew what I was doing, but I didn't know the category of the business that well. And his insights and guidance that he just let me take care of made it so that I looked good and he kind of stepped off into the background and, and, and I got promoted after nine months and everything else, because if I didn't have his guidance, it never would have happened. I mean, I would have tripped over a lot of things. So those two people are um, very, very good examples of, of those who provided the insights and the necessary knowledge to make sure things were going to go in the right direction. And in my mother's case, it was just a motivational example more than anything else. Oh, very much so. I would say is you know she's she's a great example of resilience in her own right. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's very right. uh, great examples. Thank you for recognizing both of those people. All right, our last question, Bill. This is one of my favorites. Tell us a little bit about your first job. Wow, um, I was ten and a half, and really? I started delivering. Started yes, started delivering newspapers. It came it, somehow. I found out. I don't remember exactly how that the guy who was delivering newspapers along about a mile and a half stretch of homes was going to give up the paper route. And there were 77 customers. So 10 and a half, the first day doing it, Sunday newspapers were like this thick. I could only carry about 15 at a time. It took me like three hours. So the next Sunday, my father drove me around on Sundays, but during the week I would do it myself. And I had younger brothers and sisters that as they were as they got older, they would help and I would delegate and I'd pay them and everything else. And that paper was in the family for 18 years as candidly a necessary source of income. And I, I delivered papers until I was involved with, you know, sports in high school. And then again, I would delegate to my brothers and sisters, but we would just share the responsibilities of doing it. And it was, it was kind of a family bonding thing more than anything else. And the second part of that is that because we knew all the neighbors, they would ask me and my brothers to shovel their driveways in the winter. Oh, so that wow. was kind of job. That was kind of job one a that came about because everybody knew us from the paper route. Well, and obviously you had a high level of trust that you had built up with those people or they wouldn't have reached yeah. out and said, Hey, come help us with snow shoveling or whatever else. <laughs> right. That's exactly. fantastic. Bill, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been a lot of fun to, t- to chat with you a little bit and hear of your experiences and, uh, being able to share in your wisdom. So thank you for being here. How can the people find you? The the best way to reach me is by email. It's Bill Amaralt seven, uh, B I L L A M I R A U L T the number seven at Gmail. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, there are other Bill Amaralt's, but I usually pop up first. And if you'd like to set an appointment with me, it's calendly.com forward slash Bill Amaralt seven first 20 minutes are on me to see what's going on with you and your career and how I might be able to support you or move you to the next level. And if there's something else that we can do, then we can talk about exactly what that means. But those are the three ways to reach me is by email, LinkedIn, and Calendly. Fantastic. Thank you. This is Sean Richards with the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. For more ideas, go to teamengagementpodcast.com. We also invite you to subscribe or follow the podcast, either the video version or the audio version, either way. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great day.